I was just thinking about uh, when we walked up the hill today. Um, and then decided to walk back down and then walk back up. <laughs> Carrying our things. I was reflecting on this um, point that I mentioned when we were about to walk down the hill um, after doing the standing. This point about how how is it that we can uh, be going somewhere but also be here in every moment of that. And we were walking down the hill in a conventional way, you could say, to get our stuff and come back up. But if that were the point, to get our stuff, we'd be missing a lot in between. So in a way, the emphasis was on having the walking be the thing itself, having the gathering our things be the thing itself. It's hard to be where we are, isn't it? It's kind of weird because we're always where we are in a certain way. Right? Body is always here. The body is never in the future or in the past. Right? Just saying right to make sure we're having the same. Maybe you're having a different experience. I don't know. <laughs> but our mind goes places. They're made up places. And actually, we're not going anywhere, but it seems like we are. And so we actually don't experience being kind of feeling our presentness a lot. It feels unfamiliar. We have these like peak experiences, really present. It's like, wow. In a way, we're practicing this way of being, a way of being present. Familiarizing ourselves with this presentness. There's a story, um, a Chan story. Chan is what uh, uh, Zen was called before it went to Japan in China. About a disciple, a wandering monk. Monks wandered around. Uh, and he came to visit his master at one point, And his master said, you gonna stay? Are you gonna stay for a little while? And he says, "I can't. I have to go right away." He said, "Why do you have to go?" He said, "Impermanence is moving too fast." <laughs> <laughs> and the master said to him, "Can you realize no speed?" And in that moment, I don't know what the right gesture is. (laughs) He got it. Let's put it that way. Can you feel that? I don't even want to explain it. You get a feeling for that? Can you realize no speed? Tonight I'm supposed to talk about uh, some of the difficulties in meditation practice. 
some of the challenging aspects of it uh, and what we can do about that. Does anybody, has anybody had any challenging experiences since you've been here? Okay. That's good. And it's relevant. Yeah, it's kind of hard work in a way. But maybe I started with this sort of piece about presentness so that uh, as kind of a pointer because where we're going, you know, we always have this idea of we're going somewhere. Even coming here, you have this idea, you're coming here for a reason, I imagine, to develop something or cultivate something or arrive at something or have something happen. Or, you know, so we have this kind of conventional idea about going somewhere or getting somewhere. It's natural. Otherwise, I mean, let's be honest, we wouldn't be here if we didn't think this had some benefits. Unless it's just for fun. And that's an end, too. You know? uh, But sitting and walking and sitting and walking isn't most people's definition of fun. You know, it's many things, it's wonderful, deep, but not necessarily fun all the time. This idea of getting somewhere. And so one of the things that trips us off up often in meditation is that we bring this getting somewhere energy into our practice. But it's the reason it trips us up is because we're not trying to get anywhere else. We're trying to get here, which is where we are. So it's like if you're here and you bring in some extra little oomph, you kind of move ahead of yourself. You know? You're meditating, you're being with the breath, and you're just wanting it to be a little deeper. You know, or just a little calmer, just a little more concentrated, just a little. And so we've just stepped out of the present. We're we're leaning ahead. We're not settling into here now. So it's very subtle movement. This is a little wanting It's actually moving us away from where we are. You know, I heard this one teacher, I only heard him speak once. I don't even know his name. He was some Japanese uh, Zen teacher. And he said something which I really liked. I think he was an engineer or something. And he talked about the x-axis which one's the X? X is Thank you. Thank you. You can see what I am not in that realm. X axis, Y axis, and then the Z axis, which is the axis that comes out of the page. You know? So we're really good at traversing the X axis and the Y axis in our life. You know? Developing this, getting here, doing that. It's always somewhere where we're not moving towards things. But in a way, what we're cultivating here is it's all on the z-axis, the axis of the present moment. So how do we... How do we do this? We, we do this by being with what's actually happening. What's actually happening in this moment. Letting go of our idea of what's supposed to be happening or what we, you know, our idea of good meditation, bad meditation, and actually just being here. 
for this breath, for this sensation, for this mood that's arising, this emotion, this mind state. That is the path of practice, and it's always right here. It's kind of the really good news about meditating is you don't need to make anything happen. It's already happening. And so it's good to know what the work of meditation is and what it isn't. Because if you're doing the work that is not the work, you're doing a lot of work and you're not going to get anything from it. Except you will get something from it. You get tired. And that's good. Because when you get tired, then you sort of start saying, like, maybe I'm doing something here. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll use a metaphor. Um, Uh, some of you either may wear glasses or live with someone who wears glasses. And there's this experience that people who wear glasses have sometimes where they're looking for their glasses. I mean, often looking for their glasses. But sometimes... They're looking for their glasses and they ask you, have you seen my glasses? And, and you kind of have the secret knowledge, you know, you're sort of chuckling because their glasses are on top of their head, you know? But they may be looking all over the place, like really working hard. Where did I leave them, you know? The, and so that's kind of a good metaphor for what I'm describing. All that work of looking for the glasses is sort of work in the wrong direction. You know, because the glasses are already here. Yeah. So, uh, but it's actually not wasted effort either. You know, uh, that extra trying that we do, that's not wasted. Uh, because Eventually, when you've looked all over the house and you haven't found them, your glasses, you pause. I can't find them anywhere. And then there may be this moment of, you know, oh yeah. So it actually led you to the present. It led you to where you are, to where... This is a very different kind of effort than just what we do in our regular life. We're like good workers. We're, you know, many of us probably are American, you know, or we're acculturated to live here in this kind of, you know, we're doers, you know. So when we come to meditation, it's like, all right, let's do it, you know. And then we're just, you know, breathing in, breathing out, like working real hard. I'm going to get there, you know. And... Uh, it's okay, that's our conditioning, you know, but it does lead to suffering, right? Because it's like, it's kind of one of the nice things, like Malcolm, when Malcolm was here, you just feel this kind of just beingness, you know, not going anywhere, you know. So, but that kind of doing energy, it's a little anti-nature, you know, it's sort of, so we bring that, it's because it's our conditioning into meditation, and that's not bad, that's just, we bring our conditioning here. But we're learning another way of being. Yeah. And so, you know, we really try hard to get everything just right, and, you know, breathing, and so we can have a little peace, and we get a little peace, and then it falls apart, and, and then we relax. You know, where you try and try to just make something happen and practice and nothing's happening and the mind's all over the place. And you try until you tie yourself into such a tight and frustrating and painful little knot 
that you just can't go on like that any longer and you let go. And miraculously, when you let go, when that letting go happens naturally, where do you land? You, you land where you are in the present, the place where you can't fall out of. And it's only by rushing around trying to get somewhere that we miss it. We miss what's already here. So I'm also going to talk about a few of the challenging mind states that uh, can arise in practicing. Um, just some, uh, some basics. Uh, but the underlying message is uh, all of these mind states that are challenging, they're challenging for one reason. We don't know how to be with them yet in a harmonious way. It's true for any state that arises. Any mind state, any state of the body, it's difficult because we don't know how to be in relationship with it. The one is sleepiness. Anybody had any sleepiness over the past couple of days? You know? <laughs> This is almost universal, especially in the first couple of days of the retreat. So first of all, I just want to normalize it. You know, we're very underslept in our lives often. So we come on retreat and the body says, oh, great, nothing's happening. Time to go to sleep, you know. Uh, so this is natural to kind of, you know, snooze through a day or two of retreat, you're kind of catching up, you know, your body's resting. Uh, but we can really tie ourselves in knots about being sleepy. You know, I came here to get awake, not to be asleep. You know, I came here to wake up. And so we make war with a very natural mind state, sleepiness. And then we create stories about ourselves connected to it. You know, I'm very, not really a very diligent person. I'm lazy and I'm dull, you know. And I'm the opposite of bright, which is probably what the Buddha was, very bright. And I'm dim, because <laughs> I'm sleepy, you know. And then we, it feels bad. So, so sleepiness is just, it's a state, right? Natural, you're a human being, hopefully. We're all human beings, as far as we know. Yeah, you get sleepy. The question is how to work with it in, in meditation. You know, how do we work with it? Well, there are little tr- things you can do, you know, like you can open your eyes. Or you can stand up. It's hard to fall asleep when you're standing up. You know, these are things to just keep the practice going. But sometimes you're just sleepy. And so the question is, how to be with just the state of sleepiness? And I invite you to explore it, because it actually can be pretty interesting. Just to become curious about the state of sleepiness itself. Sleepiness as a state. Yeah. Well, what does it feel like? I just sort of watch it, you know, as it's occurring. So you're not pushing it away at all. Just, you know, let it get really sleepy. You know, notice what happens in your body. Notice how the mind feels. And the interest factor is really important because you can watch yourself fall asleep. What does that mean? If, if there's something that can watch you fall asleep, what is that? It's like really wreaks havoc with your idea of what wakefulness is. What does that mean that it's not the opposite of sleepiness? So just very interesting territory to explore, you know? Uh, 
So, yeah, play with it. Um, the opposite of sleepiness, opposites, maybe it's not the opposite, another state, which you may feel like is the opposite of sleepiness, is a restlessness. Yeah, and sometimes you're sitting, or just come to a retreat, and there's like a, you know, we're in, it was raining, and we're in this building, and you might just feel like super agitated, you know? Sometimes it's just, there's just a kind of an energy that builds up in you that's, it feels sometimes unbearable or uncontainable. Just tremendous kind of restless energy. And that's a state we don't know how to be with very well. And it arises in our daily life as well, you know? Usually when restlessness arises in our daily life, we get really frantic. We start doing things fast. Yeah? And we're just riding that energy. It's sort of ride, driving us around because we don't know how to be with it. You know? A lot of our states just drive us around because... Uh, why? Just because we don't know how to coexist with them. So you may notice at times this kind of very restless energy. Uh, I remember uh, one retreat uh, that I was doing. It was a self-retreat, and I, I'll probably talk more about this the next talk when we're out in nature more. But uh, it was at this monastery, and it was, I was going to do the retreat outside for a month in the woods, mountains. And I, I had this, I'd never been to the place before, and I had this idea of, okay, it's, it's in the mountains. I'll be able to just like, hike, you know, or take long walks in the mountains. And but when I got there, it was this tiny piece of land surrounded by, that had roads around it. And there were woods, but you could walk maybe less than half a mile. And you get the woods and then private property, you know. So I was in this very small space. And I just noticed this incredible sense of almost like panic, claustrophobia, restless energy. It was huge. So agitating. And the watch and then the mind starting to go escape plans and you know, like how can I trespass well and you know, all kinds of you know, like devising ways out. You know, but luckily I've had had enough practice at that point that I sort of a little wise to it. Okay. And just made some space for this feeling, this unbearable, restless energy. And it's just amazing because I, there was no escape, really. You know, so I just had to open to it. It's kind of the Yeah, just the beauty of not having another option. And in just opening to it, okay, I'm just going to let this energy be what it is. Very soon, it's very tolerable. It's still there, you know, but it's just... uh, And I just see, oh, it's not unbearable. This is just... It was only when it was packed into me, you know? Can you feel, I kind of act it out better than I can describe it, you know? It's like, you know? As opposed to like, (laughs) you know? Sort of like, okay, this is in here happening. Yeah, Uh, very, oh wow, this can exist. Uh, It didn't last very long and it didn't come back. It's interesting, you know? Some things come back, but I think it was just sometimes, this is maybe it's just that time, sometimes it's actually we just feel it fully, and it doesn't need to come back, you know? Or maybe I just didn't feel scared of being in a small space anymore. Uh, so that's one way of just 
We're kind of learning how to be with this energy, this restless energy. And sometimes a useful metaphor is you, uh, it's like a, you know, different ways of, this is a traditional metaphor. And I, sh- I should probably just say it's outside of my experience realm. Like I, if you have a wild horse, I don't know anything about horses. I'll just use this metaphor though. <laughs> a wild horse, different ways of taming it. But, you know, I guess you could like grab it and tether it to a, post or something, or, and it would just kick and go crazy. Eventually, it would calm down. It's a very violent way of kind of getting a horse to calm down. Yeah. Or you could give it like a big pasture to run around in and let it tire itself out. So I do have experience with this on the level of mind states. Yeah. Very big and restless, chaotic mind states. Sometimes you need to just give it a big pasture to run around in. And then it can exist. It's not banging up against anything. You know, it's not going to kick anybody because no one's trying to wrestle it to the ground. Sleepiness, restlessness. Uh, Craving and aversion. I talked about that already. It's craving for something to happen, something better than what's happening now. You know, but sometimes on retreat, there's sort of not much of our normal stimulation happening. You know, so we can get into big desire realms about things. You know, like, oh, if only they served, you know, there's got to be pizza one day, you know, or <laughs> something like that. You know, you get... Uh, but often this desire manifests around wanting something to happen in your practice. Sort of just a craving for becoming, you know, to become something, to have something happen. And it's interesting, that state of craving is itself suffering. Yeah, there's suffering in that, in that craving, like needing it to be different. Yeah. It's different than wanting. This is an important distinction, actually. Sometimes people get confused in Buddhism. Wanting, like, okay, I want to take a walk after lunch. Take a walk. That's not, that's not suffering. But this craving for something that's not here, you can feel that as this gap between the now and the future, imagined future. Yeah. I really want... You know, to have some calm. So actually that's very useful to feel that wanting energy. So when it's present, no matter what it's directed towards, sometimes on retreats, uh, it gets directed towards other people on the retreat. And it's so common that we have a name for it, the Vipassana romance, you know, where you pick out someone you don't know at all, and they become the object of all of your fantasy and desire, <laughs> you know, and, and you sort of build a world out of them, you know, that, and how they'll fulfill every, you know, thing that's lacking in your life, <laughs> and you'll meditate off in the forever together, and, you know, just, so that, that kind of wanting energy just gets directed somewhere, and it's a world of suffering, actually, you know, sort of like. Uh, so when that wanting energy is present, no matter what it's directed at, what object, be with the wanting itself. See if you can notice that quality, that feeling. Just the wanting. It's a huge force in our lives. You know, that I just need it to be a little, you know. And usually we're just focused on the object that we think we want or need. It's about the person. It's about the situation. It's about, but we rarely turn to just that mechanism, just that thing of wanting itself, the craving. Oh, and I do this with my hand because that's the way it feels to me. It's like, you know, it's, and that's, and if you notice, it's kind of a coming out of yourself. So just feel that, you know, and feel how it, it is dukkha. Dukkha, it's unsatisfying, it's unsatisfactory. It is a, a form of dis-ease, 
Yeah. When we feel the dis-ease of it, uh, you know, we have this amazing, part of the reason meditation works is we have this amazing natural intelligence. Uh, we have the capacity when we're aware to actually learn from our experience. I know it may sound like news. So often we don't learn from our experience, but when we're actually present, that's the reason we don't learn from our experience because we we're not actually there for it. It's like it's happening to someone else. So we just do the same things over and over again. But when we're actually here for our experience, we do learn from it. You know, so when you're to be present for the wanting, rather than if this wanting wasn't here, I'd really be on retreat. No. All of these states, when they're there, that's the retreat. Yeah, that's the curriculum. So to be with the wanting, to feel that, you know, you know, when we feel that burn, we naturally, our organism naturally starts to let go of it. And, um, you know, it's like holding on to a hot coal is a traditional metaphor again. If you're holding on to a hot coal, no one has to tell you to let go. You know, it's really not good for you to hold on to a hot burning coal. No. You f- the burn itself, your natural intelligence, you just you let go. You put your hand on a hot stove, you pull it back. So there is a burn in these wanting it, this craving. There's a burn in there. So just to feel the burn. And we don't let go all at once. That would be nice. You know, sometimes it happens, but just there's a soften there tends to be a softening. Even if you don't know that anything's happening, just the being with it is enough. It may feel like it's just you're just getting the suffering and not the learning, but it's your organism that's learning. Learning about happiness and the causes of happiness, learning about suffering and the causes of suffering. Uh, And see, the opposite of this craving is aversion. You're not wanting it to be this way. Hating things, you know. It's very interesting. We we flip-flop back between this kind of um, wanting and not wanting. It's kind of the same thing, but just two sides of it. But you can start to notice how conditioned these things are. You know, you just have a moment of, it's like the mind state creates the reality. You know, you have a moment of peace in your practice, a moment of stillness, or just one sitting where you feel like, oh, I'm really meditating here. You know, and then you open your eyes and you look around and you think, I love Spirit Rock. You know, and all these beautiful people here with me. You know, all these Buddhas practicing. You know, isn't it great? And I feel so much gratitude. And, you know, I, I think I've found the path on which I will be walking for the rest of my life. And maybe I will even, you know, become a monk or a, you know, a hermit and live and just meditate all the time. A whole world identity future built out of a moment (laughs) or a half hour of some peace, you know, or the opposite happens where you have a sitting where it's just a lot of unpleasant feelings, you know, and it's restless or it's the mind's really wandering and, you know, you just, uh, the body's in pain and you're sort of struggling, not at ease with it and the bell rings and you know, what a crappy bell. You know? It's a dinky little bell we have here, you know. It's, I've been to retreats where they have a really nice bell. You know, bong. You know, and you look around and you see all these annoying people. 
you know, just self-centered people who come here to whatever, you know, walk around like zombies, you know. Uh, well, it's just good to see these kind of how conditioned these realities are. You know, and they change so much, so quickly, based on just what we happen to be experiencing in the moment. And we have the range of experiences, as you notice, because we're human beings. So we have this range of experience, but it's identifying with the momentary experience. We build identities out of it. Wes was talking about the other day. Build an identity out of a moment of peace, a moment of pain. And that's not, because you build identities, it doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It's actually, it's very, it's a lot of insight that we get from seeing the identity be created and then change. And the next one arise. See, normally in our lives, this is happening all the time, but we don't even notice it. But it's here we get to see, oh, wow, I've had like, you know, 84,000 identities just today. You know, based on these impermanent momentary experiences, we start to naturally, this is the natural intelligence part, stop believing so wholeheartedly in them as they rise. It's like, okay, wait a minute. Like, now I'm the most unforgivable person on the retreat. You know, I've, I just have the most you know, unwholesome mind of anybody here. <laughs> you, you just don't believe it as much because you were the saintliest saint about, you know, three hours ago, you know, and everybody else was sort of behind you in the evolutionary process, spiritual evolution. You know, so it's just the kind of belief and the reification of those identities. It just starts to soften. So it's great to see this is insight. So often all these things, a lot of these things we think are bad news because we're suffering as a result of them. We think, oh, I must be doing it wrong. But no, it's actually learning. These two things, the awareness and the learning. When you're aware, when you're present, you're learning from life. Your organism is learning. And that's what happens. That's why we could just say, keep going. If you're just being present, you're just learning about suffering and the causes of suffering, about the end of suffering, what leads to the end of suffering. I have a lot of, uh, you know, I have a lot of faith in this now, based in experience over time. You know, and, and you don't have to be like perfectly here. <laughs> oh, I'll be here, I gotta learn from my experience, so I gotta really get here. No, you just, you're already here. You know, sometimes we just tweak it like that. Am I here enough? Am I present enough? And that's doubt. You know, that's, uh, but you know, like Jack Cornfield always says this, and I like it, I think it's useful that you know, how in Vegas, Las Vegas, they have that saying, you have to be present to win, you know? So they know that in Las Vegas. <laughs> they, you got to be there. It's the same with this. So that's what we're doing. We're getting present. And everything comes out of that. Present with what's happening. So we'll talk about doubt, you know, sort of the last of the five challenging mind states that the Buddha sort of specifically addressed, you know. And doubt is, it's um, very insidious, you know, because, and the reason it's said to be insidious is because it masquerades as wisdom. You know, it looks a lot like wisdom to me. I don't know about these teachers. You know, who are they anyway? Or what about this practice? Where exactly did it come from? Mm -hmm. 
is this the real stuff or is it? <laughs> Maybe I could find the real stuff somewhere else. And, you know, that may be true in the bigger, but for right here, you know, that just takes you out of being here and just take you away from learning from what is here. Yeah? And then the most insidious doubt is the self-doubt. You know, that really can be deep in us. I don't have what it takes. Uh, I'm not doing it right. You know, there's some way to do this. If I was doing it right, it would feel better. Makes sense. It's supposed to be about the end of suffering. I sure am suffering a lot. You know, isn't this supposed to be about getting calm? I seem to be getting more, less calm. I'm getting more restless. You know, there must be something that I should, you know, maybe if I did, I don't know, once I read a book about this other technique, maybe I'll try that. You know, it just, it gets in there and it undermines what you're actually doing. You know, it just undermines kind of your, just your, earnestness in being here. You know, we often, we underestimate ourselves so much. We have these sort of doubting voices or self-hating voices, you know. It's like, they're stories, they're identities like those other identities, you know. Identities that we carry around and we bring to practice, you know, about not being good enough or not being worthy. Often they're old stories. We've had them for a long time. You know, and they came about due to causes and conditions. You know, they're not your fault. Sometimes I think it's often because sort of like your, our best attempt at making sense of the world when we were really little. You know, either everybody around me is crazy or there's something wrong with me. Well, it's a lot safer to think there's something wrong with me, <laughs> you know, or, you know, or, yeah, I'm not quite getting what I need. It's probably because I don't deserve it. Kids think like that. You know, or, or just, you know, an interaction in school. You see this, if you work with kids, you see this, just, you know, teachers, kind of treating one kid as a little restless, like a, the problem kid, you know, like they're not smart. It's very interesting to see, you know, how it becomes true when it's believed. You know, when a kid thinks they're not smart, all their intelligence, which was there like five minutes before, it's not available. It's not present because they're locked in this little identity becomes sort of self-fulfilling. And so we have these identities, we carry them into meditation too. They're beliefs, deep-seated beliefs that we hold on to. I'm not worthy of being enlightened. Or the Buddha, maybe the Buddha could free himself, but not me, I'm... It's a very interesting thing with doubt, you know, in the sort of story of the Buddha's awakening. Uh, he's sitting under the Bodhi tree and practicing. And in the story, this Mara comes to the Buddha. And Mara is the personification in the Buddhist cosmology of all of the mind states, the challenging mind states. You know, Mara is not like a person. It's like a it's like a symbolic, mythological personification of all these mind states, you know, craving, aversion. Uh, and so Mara, in the story, right? The moment before the Buddha's awakening, right before the Buddha's awakening, Mara comes and sort of throws these things at the Buddha, you know, like tempting him and uh, trying to scare him. But the last... And so the Buddha, in the story, you know, sort of overcomes them in various ways by welcoming these states of mind. The last one was doubt. Mara says, who do you think you are anyway? 
Yeah, who do you think you are that you think you could become free? You know? This doubting voice. And in the story, the Buddha doesn't respond. He in sort of verbally just touches the ground as a, a testament to his belonging. Actually, that his touching the ground, that was the statue that we gave to Malcolm today, the statue of the Buddha touching the earth. And in the story, Mara vanishes and the Buddha is awakened. But if that doubt can come to the Buddha right before he becomes the Buddha, it says something about doubt, as, you know, that it can come in at any point. And sometimes at the point where we are doing the thing that's most important, you know, when we are in our most important place, really doing what we need to be doing, that can come in sometimes most strongly at that moment. So doubt is just to be known, you know, not to make war with it. Actually, in the discourses, whenever Mara appears, and you can think of Mara in any way you want in your own Whenever Mara appears, you know what the Buddha does? He always says the same thing. He says, Mara, I see you. And whenever the Buddha says, Mara, I see you, Mara goes, yeah. But it's that discernment of, okay, this is what's happening. I see you. One of the things that most trips people up in practice is that they'll get, something will happen or they'll get to some point where they think, I've fallen off the path, the path of practice. I'm somehow off of it and I need to get back to it. I did something wrong. I took a wrong turn. How did I, you know, and so how do I get back to where I'm supposed to be? It happens often, you know. So you didn't fall off the path. You can't. You can't fall out of the present moment. And that's just a kind of a, it's a way that we get sidetracked is by thinking that we're off. The practice is always just to say, what's happening now? You know, no matter what's been, how, how you know, What's happening right now? Okay. It's just this coming back to the breath that we started with, the most basic instruction. You don't blame yourself for wandering. It's okay, what's happening now? So we take all these journeys in our mind You know, but we we actually never go anywhere. In this present moment, which is full and complete here, it's never been otherwise. You can't fall out of it. You can't walk, you know, even if you when you're aware of this presentness, you know, this wakefulness which is here in which all of this is arising. Uh, as Suzuki Roshi said, you can go a hundred miles in the wrong direction and it's still the unfolding of right practice. You can't go in the wrong direction. There's nowhere you could go that's outside of it. So as my first teacher said to me, he said, your life is the curriculum. Are you signed up for the course? Let's just sit for a moment. Just let the word sell. <laughs>
Thank you. We've had a lot of words today, so I'm not going to have any questions this evening. Let's just kind of continue in our uh, in our way. Just walking. And we'll do walking until uh, nine o'clock, and then we'll come back here and sit together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.